This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Saks.com. KYW News Radio Original Podcasts. From KYW News Radio 1039 FM, this is Bridging Philly, connecting our communities on the issues that matter to you. Presented by Gift of Life Donor Program. Organ donors save lives. Hello, I'm Raquel Williams. Welcome to Bridging Philly. The arts in Philadelphia continues to suffer the effects of the pandemic. Today, we check in with the head of the Esperanza Arts Center of Hunting Park to find out how they've been coping and what the hope is for the future. Our newsmaker this week heads up a group committed to bridging black and brown, LGBTQ, and the Asian community through the power of art as a vehicle to explore the diverse experiences of all communities. I think the arts generally are a bridge between cultures and communities. Our Philly Rising Changemaker of the Week encourages people to be a black to others by sharing their personal testimony so we can all learn from each other's path. We're devoted to helping people in general. And it's all straight ahead on Bridging Philly. 30 Seconds to Second Chances brought to you by the Gift of Life Donor Program. Abdul Kareem Salahuddin was near death in 2014. I needed to get a liver transplant. At the same time, Carol McLeod's son had a seizure. Brian was declared brain dead. Carol, an Irish Catholic, decided to donate his organs. That's something that he would have wanted. Kareem, a devout Muslim, received Ryan's liver. God orchestrated this thing for us to come together. Now, their family. He's my older adopted son. Register as an organ donor at DonorsOne.org and help save lives. Welcome to Bridging Philly. I'm Raquel Williams. Two years into the coronavirus pandemic and we are learning to live with it as best as we can as we try to go about our lives with a speckle of normalcy. One of the areas hit by the pandemic, the arts, especially performance art, with surges and vaccine mandates and the ever-changing landscape that brings, it makes it a bit of a challenge to keep shows on and people, of course, in the seats. Joining me today is Bill Rhodes, Senior Vice President of the Esperanza Arts Center in Hunting Park. And he's also board member of the Greater Philadelphia Cultural Alliance. Thanks for being here on Bridging Philly. Thank you, Raquel. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, first, talk to me about the Arts Center. I know you opened in 2018 and you are on the Esperanza Charter School campus, correct? That's correct. So uh, Esperanza Art Center is part of Esperanza, which has been serving the Latino community in North Philadelphia for over 30 years. And uh, we do, in addition to the Art Center, have uh, K through 12 schools here, as well as a K through 12 cyber school. And as you could imagine, the um, roster for the cyber school has just taken off over the last yeah. year and a half. I think the last number we had was about 2,000 students at the academy and another 1,200 students at the cyber school. We have that, and we've been serving the community through immigration and legal services, mm -hmm. housing and economic development, and a variety of other services that were needed. All of those service services came about because of uh, what the community told us they needed for them, for, needed for us to do to serve them. Um, and that's really the same story with the Arts Center. Mm -hmm. um, we, when it, we began, 
even before we opened, we spent a great deal of time introducing folks in the neighborhood to the space and starting conversations with members of the community, letting them know that you know this was their space and uh, the programs that we're going to be offering and the way that we actually structure and build that theater uh, will be based on their input. So we met with a wide variety of people, so faith leaders, teachers, students, business owners, and we factored all of their, their thoughts and their feedback into how the art center was going to serve them. And what we finally came up with was a space that would be multidisciplinary, that would uh, present artists and traditions that are reflective of the community that surrounds us, um, but also provides an opportunity to be introduced to other cultures. Um, we wanted to make sure that the space offered opportunities for our youth to better understand different traditions and just the uh, industry of the arts in general, and to make sure that it was a space where artists that were in our area, particularly Latino artists, had an opportunity to develop their craft. And and this center, from what I understand, Bill, is not just a regular center. This is a state-of-the-art center with, with everything that you can imagine uh, there. Yeah, and that was something we were extremely, we were lucky, uh, really fortunate to have the initial funding to be able to build a space that would present high quality productions uh, in the theater. Um, and that was really important because one of the things that we did right after we kind of chiseled out what the theater was going to be doing and how it was going to be serving the neighborhood was we began talking to other arts organizations in the region and asking them um, if they would like to explore partnerships with us. In order to do that, you want to make sure that you have the facilities in place to be able to really support those types of productions. I really didn't know what the response was going to be for a lot of these groups who don't on the surface seem like the ideal partners for Esperanza and, and, and for the uh, community here. And we had some criteria, which were that if you were to work with us, be a partner with Esperanza, that you'd need to present or somehow factor in into your content or your artists or the issues that you present, uh, the community that's that's coming to the performances. Um, you need to commit to residencies. So our partners have to be here for a period of time leading up to performances to uh, work with our young people um, and get them better acquainted with who they are and what they do and what, what the issues are that they're presenting. Um, and also, this ties in with the uh, with the quality of the facilities. You can't bring your B team because often what happened uh, for a community serving organization, particularly a BIPOC community serving organization, if you approach an arts group and you say, hey, we want you guys to come in and work with us. They say, OK, let's get some of the B or C players to go out there and do a little song and dance and then leave. And it was important for us that that not happen. Um, and, uh, and the facilities accommodated those types of high quality performances, but also since an important message. Uh, we didn't want people in our neighborhood to come in and say, oh, I get it. So when I see this group at another uh, performance space downtown, I get this. But when I come to my theater, I get this. So that just can't be a message that we uh, that we support. 
Well, let's talk about uh, the pandemic and how this has impacted uh, the performances and the things that you do over at the Esperanza Arts Center. Um, the first year of the pandemic, I know that the arts in Philly took a pretty big hit, losing over $370 million. That's pretty huge. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we were, again, in a position where many of us, especially the mid-sized organizations and the large organizations were fortunate in that relief funding came through, which allowed us to keep our doors open. We were thankful for like the PPP loans. And there was a COVID uh, Philadelphia grant and Mellon and w- William Penn Foundation and Presser. They all came through with, uh, with very vital support for us to keep everything going. Um, I also know a lot of smaller organizations that just didn't make it. Uh, because they were not in a position to continue to do what they were doing and they weren't getting the money to support what they were doing. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, organizations were able to survive certainly in the interim due to relief funding, but then that had to happen in conjunction with staff reductions. So for us, we only had two full-time people here before the pandemic and we needed to lay them off because we were not in a position to continue to support those positions. We pivoted our programming like a lot of organizations and scaled back, really focused on online content. One thing I'm really happy about, uh, very proud of is our virtual Latino arts festival, um, which we presented the first fall right after March, 2020, uh, and continued again this year. And we focused our efforts really and our resources on other things we could be doing for the community that uh, were not necessarily in-person presentations. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and I would say, in addition to the, you know, the scaled back programming, the other thing that was really vital for us were partnerships. And that's a great thing about Philly is uh, there's lots of great opportunities to partner with other organizations uh, and to pull your resources together. And we had some amazing programs that we were able to present as a result of that kind of dynamic. So you've been relying on doing a lot of virtual type performances. Uh, what other ways do you use the space in the meanwhile? When we talked at first with the folks in the neighborhood about what the space should do, almost everybody said, you know, it's great to have a performance space, but we'd love for you to be able to also record from the space and live stream from the space and to broadcast from the space. So we actually had all of that equipment already in the theater, in the teatro. So the turn of events in March 2020 allowed us to really focus on mobilizing those those systems and ensuring that the staff that we brought on knew how to use them properly in, in a way that would produce high quality content. So we actually pivoted pretty quickly into um, the virtual sphere and into online programming and recording. Um, we were lucky to have those systems in place and a lot of our partners were happy to come in and use those systems as well, which we were very thankful for. Tell me about some of the performances and the things that you guys had going on there before COVID really took its toll. Well, we had almost every major regional arts organization uh, work with us as partners. So um, we had performances with the Philadelphia Orchestra, the Philadelphia Ballet, uh, Ballet X, Teatro del Sol. Really, I mean, the list goes on, Orchestra 2001, uh, all of whom have had come up with these programs that really were well thought out. Um, and we really began getting the ball rolling in terms of programs uh, and, and kind of building a season. 
1920, because 18 was when we first opened. So we had a kind of a half season, winter, spring, 2019. 1920 would have been our full season. And we had planned about 40 performances uh, in the Teatro at that time. We got through March, I think it was March 16th, where we realized that we would have to cancel or postpone most of our performances. But the season actually presented everything that the, that the community was asking for, which was both, uh, you know, we celebrated the arts and traditions of different Latino regions. And we also brought in artists that introduced folks to other traditions. Uh, so that was a great example uh, for us. Uh, one of our series is called the Bosis series, where every year we feature a different region of Latin America. Um, the year uh, when we closed to the pandemic, uh, we were supposed to feature Puerto Rico. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we had little bits and pieces of that, but not enough to really call it a series. So we're going to bring that back. Got it. In 22, 23. But as we kind of became comfortable with the new, uh, you know, the new surroundings, the new landscape, we pivoted even that series, our Rosa series, into um, uh, into the virtual sphere. So um, this last year, we featured arts and traditions of Brazil, uh, which is really just looking at groups, mainly local groups so like Olagunde and Minas, composer Orlando Haddad, uh, who came in and, uh, and, you know, we have such a wealth of talent in the city that's reflective of so many traditions. It's very, we didn't have to go very far to find the artists that, uh, that really represented the very best in those traditions. This year, we're focusing on Mexico. Okay. Uh, and uh, we have a large Mexican population that's growing in Philly and we're really excited about what's coming up uh, over the winter-spring series. Let's talk about going forward uh, as far as, you know, we don't know where we're going to be and how long this is going to be as far as the pandemic is concerned, right? So we're all just trying to live with it. We're trying to figure out, all right, we need to get back to normal, so to speak. So we're just going to do what we have to do and just try to push forward. What's your biggest concern, though? I mean, the funding came through. It wasn't enough for a lot of people in the arts um, you were talking about the layoffs, and as you try to build things up and get things back going, what, what's your concern going forward with regards to funding and COVID and the arts? Yeah, I would say the biggest uh, concern that I have is uh, re-engagement of folks in the community, uh, making sure that all of that work that we put in and all those conversations uh, are able to continue also, just, you know, while we're all thankful in the arts for the support that was, that we did receive during that period, that's not the level of funding that's going to be sustainable uh, over a longer period of time. So I think many of us are concerned that the other shoe is going to drop at some point. And uh, what I think we're most concerned about is the decrease in funding by foundations and government, a kind of they need to pull back now. They've done. They've they've given out as as much as they could, mm-hmm. uh, and they don't feel that they're uh, going to be able to do that um, over a longer period of time. Uh, the other concern that I have, particularly for an organization that serves uh, communities of color, is that the pandemic. One of the, if you call it, can call it that, a silver lining is that it did amplify racial inequities and systemic biases right. um, that people of color encounter every day. And many of organizations like ours um, and funders actually gave voice to these issues through programs and through support. 
uh, in talking to other folks in the industry who've been around much longer than I have, you know, there have been these peaks historically where people focus on their attention on these iniquities, and then all of a sudden it goes away. And so big concern is that that positive momentum to increase this awareness, to help diminish these inequalities, these inequities in the arts, and every other facet of society, that, that, that it continues, that it doesn't fade away as, as the pandemic recedes. Yeah, well, let's hope. That certainly is the hope. But let's yeah. now talk further about the Esperanza Arts Center in general now. It's mission. I want to talk about that and the goals, of course. So this is pretty much about showcasing the Latinx community through art while lifting up the hunting park community, right? Yeah, we do a number of things at Esperanza Art Center that reflect the traditions of the community. So when we either bring in artists that are from the region, or if we're working with partners, uh, artistic partners, it's important that the programs are meaningful to the people we're serving. Uh, and so a lot of thought goes into ensuring that uh, programs that we create are relevant uh, to the community and also when residencies happen, that they're positive experiences for our youth. On the surface, everybody might think, oh, well, arts organizations, uh, I mean, they must be just positive experiences. Uh, when people uh, are, you know, are participating, that's not always the case. It takes sensitivity and you, you need the, the time to really think about what it is that you can be doing that will be important and meaningful for folks. And one of the other things that has been really exciting for us is being a space to help Latino artists develop new work um, that are in the air, that are in the region. So we're working with um, an actor, director, Daniel Marquez uh, from Teatro del Sol now on a project called the Nichos Project, uh, which is, if you're familiar with kind of dioramas going to school, uh, it's a small paintings that were very popular, are very popular in Mexico that uh, people used to express their views, their history, their family history. And we're using that as a kind of a jumping off point mm. for Tana to create uh, both theatrical works. And now in collaboration with uh, Ballet X this spring, dance works that are reflective of stories that we're receiving from our students and from members of the community. Um, and so we have an opportunity here to now work through that process with Tana and we're also, our first big community event, which will be in person, I'm hoping, and everything will work <laughs> out just fine by March, right. uh, is we're working with um, Mexican-American artist Jimena Violante on a fandango. So we'll have um, a big community party here where, where people will be invited to bring in their instruments uh, and learn the San Jorocho dances, uh, mm -hmm. as well as enjoy food and um, and other uh, there'll be other vendors there selling various types of arts and crafts from Mexico. And the last one is something that a lot of people ask for. Uh, it took a little bit of time to understand how to do it, uh, is we're presenting um, a residency with uh, Che Guerrero, uh, who is a bilingual um, comedian, hmm. who will be hosting, uh, will be doing a stand-up um, workshop residency with us and our, our, our theater students. Uh -huh. uh, and we'll be hosting a comedy festival. Hopefully that'll happen every year. Well, that sounds fun. We'll talk about the core values of the Esperanza Art Center, faith, excellence, and integrity. Why those three? Yes. Well, uh, we are a faith-based institution. And in fact, uh, 
We began as an institution that served uh, uh, churches and Latino clergy in the area. Mm-hmm. And faith uh, can be interpreted in many different ways. Uh, but one thing I will say is that uh, the element of faith is almost uh, indispensable when you're talking about creating new ventures that serve historically underserved communities. <laughs> right. That uh, faith is a very important and really um, prevalent everywhere you reach out to, to every person you talk to, mm-hmm. um, whether you, if your faith is based on Christian faith or any other or faith to and, and resilience, all of those qualities are, are important for people that we serve and for us to be able to continue to do what we do. Uh, integrity, if you walk into the Espinanza campus, and you know, I talked about the quality of uh, facilities here, yeah. um, you know, we need to change the narrative of how people envision themselves in spaces that are part of their community. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, we need to make sure that when people come and experience our programs, uh, our performances, that they're experiencing them at the highest level because it's a value uh, message that you're sending. Right. The people that you, you serve deserve that and should have that. And so integrity is ensuring that everything that we do is at the highest possible level. So faith, integrity are really key for us and, you know, in what we do and everything that we do here. Gotcha. Well, how important uh, is it, do you feel, to offer hope in this particular community? Of course, it has its challenges, but there's so much talent and so much creativity that needs to be developed. And kids have to see, like you were saying, that they have an opportunity uh, to do that and to grow. So talk about some of the programs that you offer the community and how important it is uh, for the kids to be exposed to the arts. Yeah, I'll tell you a great, uh, something that actually happened that wasn't planned in the beginning that turned out to be a great success for us was uh, we started a mentor fellow program here uh, at Teatro Esperanza. And what that is, is, you know, outside of myself and the two people who were full time, all of our staff production staff and our front of house staff uh, are high school kids. Uh, And the idea behind the program is to give kids an opportunity to learn how different roles exist in the industry of the arts and in production. Um, And if they're interested to provide a way for them to be able to move forward uh, in that profession. You know, we did interviews and we actually, I did an interview. Like I, you know, we invited the kids to come in. They, I, you know, they created a small resume. Uh, you know, I met, I meet with them to see what exactly they might be interested in. Why are they interested in working in the arts? And for a lot of the kids, it's the first time they had an oppor- they've had an opportunity to sit and do an interview. So the process allowed uh, our kids to see what that was like, but also dip their toe into mm-hmm. an area that many had no idea existed. Mm-hmm. Uh, the industry of production and the arts. Everybody sees what's going on on the stage. A lot of people don't realize that there are lots of jobs available in other areas. Right. All, a lot so, of behind the scenes things that are happening. Well, yeah. You know, it, you know yeah. the radio station. <laughs> we have kids now that are doing, that help our production uh, manager with lights, with audio, with camera operation, and also on the side, the administrative side, just with the marketing uh, of Vespinanza. Uh, these are paid positions. Uh, you know, I, a lot of the kids here, as much as they would like to be able to do these work in these positions, they're just not in an op, not in a position to do something for free. Uh, so it's providing uh, an important uh, revenue source for them and their families. 
Uh, and it's been so amazing to see over the last few years, a number of these kids loved what they were doing so much that they wanted to continue. And so when I, we saw that, I began reaching out to some of the other venues in town. And mm -hmm. I said, so listen, we have these kids that are doing great work here. Uh, and they'd like to continue to kind of move down that path. Um, and we've begun partnerships now with the Kimmel Center and the Mann Center, where they'll be able to, if they would like, when they graduate, uh, continue to work in those positions and explore those positions a little bit further. Awesome. I think this is a, this is a great value to the community. And I, I really do hope that things will kind of level off and we'll be able to uh, get back to the way things were when you opened in 2018. <laughs> Let's all hope for that sooner rather than later. And of course, Bill, tell us, how can people find out more about the Esperanza Art Center? Well, thank you for asking, Raquel. Actually, we are opening our winter-spring season uh, next Friday, February 4th, with Philodenko. So they'll Ooh. return to our stage. Nice. Uh, and uh, you can find out more about that performance and our upcoming Bosse series featuring Mexican artists and traditions at EsperanzaArtCenter.us. EsperanzaArtCenter.us. All right. Got it. Bill Rhodes with the Esperanza Art Center. Thank you so much for your time and thank you for joining us on Bridging Philly. This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Saks.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Saks.com. 30 Seconds to Second Chances, brought to you by the Gift of Life Donor Program. On the surface, devout Catholic Carol McLeod has little in common with Abdul Karim Salahuddin. First Muslim person I ever met. But their worlds collided with Carol's son, Ryan Dodd. He was just an angel. She donated his organs, saving Kareem's life. She made a decision to save other folks, to save me. The two realized they have much in common, and now their family. She's a hero to me. Register as an organ donor at DonorsOne.org and help save lives. Welcome back to Bridging Philly. Connecting cultural expression and social change, Asian Arts Initiative uses art as a vehicle to explore the diverse experiences of all, including black and brown and LGBTQ communities. It's a multidisciplinary art center offering exhibitions, performances, youth workshops, and more. Our Shara Day Howard has more with Executive Director Anna Ishii. The city of Philadelphia is known globally for having a diverse and deep well when it comes to grassroots politics, music, and of course, the arts. And Ishii, the executive director of the Asian Arts Initiative in Chinatown, is combining all of those elements to bridge communities by addressing topics of race and encouraging artists to dig a deeper creative well by embracing Philly's diversity. Welcome to Bridging Philly, Anne. So happy to have you here. Thank you. Now, the Asian Arts Initiative's mission is to connect cultural expressions as well as affecting social change change. And you've been doing just that by serving the Asian communities and using the initiative as a vehicle to explore diversity within the block-to-block -block nature of what Philly is. So, Anne, since you've taken on the position of executive director, you've made a point of bridging communities, pun intended. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that is a good description for what we do here. Uh, I think the arts generally are a bridge between cultures and communities. 
And you say this is all in the name of creating a braver art and a braver artist. I've noticed that you spent a lot of time making sure that the relationships between LGBTQ, people of color, and you're making a point to kind of speak out to them and call them in. Absolutely. Um, I really, really believe that you need to invite the people you want to be with. That's really important. You know, just putting a flyer in the mailroom of the lobby of your building is not enough. You really have to go out there and actually make some face contact. And even during the pandemic, maybe it's just a Zoom call, but you know, they need to be real invitations. And of course, the pandemic, all of the racial tensions that arose from all of that. How have you managed to stay on mission while also calling in other communities? Like I was saying about inviting people, it's also listening. So I know that's almost cliche to be saying, but I really think listening is an important part of adjustment. Um, The answers are always right in front of my face. I just have to be paying attention. So that's how I've been dealing with it. It's just what's happening right in front of me in the moment and trying to stay present. Yeah. And what have you been hearing? What have you been seeing in the community that you're responding to? I hear a lot of panic and anxiety. So I think it's really important as leaders and as as people responsible for other people, making sure that we name that and give it a place. So, you know, forget whatever the work is. If you're panic in panic mode, you're just not going to get anything done, right? So I think lately I'm spending a lot of my time just asking people if they need to learn how to breathe again. You know, is it food? Do we need to go eat something? Is it, um, there are so many difficult conversations to be had, but is this the time to be quiet? Is it the time to have a pleasant conversation? Which is what I would prefer to be doing most of the time. (laughs) Now, Philadelphia, you've come into a community that is extremely diverse and you've managed during a time where there's a lot of tension to bring the communities together. Why and how? Again, I think it's just being there, going out there and talking to people. I think that's so critical. And I frequently hear people um, raise these sort of hypothetical conflicts. Well, what if they don't like me? Or, you know, what if there's a history of trauma between our communities? Or isn't this, um, am I the right person? Or is this appropriation? Or, you know, there's all this, that's panic. That's that panic I was talking about and the anxiety. There's no need for that. That Those are all hypothetical. So I, I'm somebody who has always, you know, I, <laughs> I'm that idiot who's hit on a lot of people and been told no. <laughs> and that's the kind of, that's the kind of energy I want to bring <laughs> when I go into new places. It's like, I, I might hear no, but I might hear yes. So I'm just gonna, I am gonna go out there. It, it seems so simple, but it really is. The bridge begins with me actually stepping foot in that place and inviting people to, to be with me. And I noticed that walking in. There is a little space that you've made downstairs where the community is welcome. Yes. And it's just anyone and everyone. It's just sitting down together. Yes. Yeah, I'm glad you saw that firsthand. Um, When I came here, and this is not a criticism, it was just a different time and a different culture, all our doors were locked. They were never open, and you had to dial the intercom to get, you know, it was like a two-step process to get in. We had a secretary who made checked your ID. You know, it was very it was very secure. I didn't even know that door existed to be honest. Yeah. The door I walked through today. Right. I know exactly. So we're we're changing the way you come into the building. Um all our not all of the doors, but you know, the front entrance is now unlocked and open and we have you know, like a call sign. Well come in. It's a metaphor. Yeah. No, truly. Yeah. 
that's how you create safety is by inviting people, right? Not by prohibiting the entry. It's it's by encouraging the entry. Come in, yeah. Encouraging people, yeah. And part of this bridging of communities is really by exposing everyone to not just their own plight, but their neighbor's plight. And a great example of that is how you're taking on Black History Month. Can you tell us how you're doing that in such a powerful way? Yeah. Oh, my God. I'm so excited. Um, we are hosting Christopher Rogers from the Robeson House with co-editor Fajr Mohammed, who just edited an anthology of essays and stories around the black uprisings in the city of Philadelphia. They'll be in conversation with Jessica Gordon Nempard, who's a professor at a, um, New York City, and she's written the authoritative book on um, black farmers cooperatives. But they're all speaking to mutual aid as a system of, you know, of mutual benefit of that. I mean, mutual aid is the is like the scientific term for bridging community. Right. That's really let's pool our resources together and make this happen. And I think the reason I'm so excited about this um, not just because they're the smartest people on earth, but the the answers have always been there. That like, it's that thing again of like the answers are right in front of us. Like the people have been doing this, so I think the Asian community stands to learn a lot from the history of Black co-op movements, and I think they hopefully will find that presenting to this particular community also broadens their ability to perform, you know, stronger mutual aid services. So it's another way of not just bringing people together, but another type of community think. Mm -hmm. That's right. Community think. That's such a great word for it. Yeah. I think for us, what's important is to, you know, this being an Asian arts initiative, I would just remind everybody, I mean, Black folks are also in the Asian diaspora. I know so many Blasians in this beautiful town, right? I mean, <laughs> so just um, making some room for that if you want to explore what it means to, you know, collaborate with the Asian diaspora, to, to find yourself in it, to feel welcome in it. You know, I know so many people with lived experiences that really cross all of those cultures. So just naming that is really important, just presenting it. Um, a lot of our artists this year are black and Asian. So, you know, some of it's literal. We're all, we're already the same people, right? Um, so we have a seed exchange happening actually on February 22nd. And that is actually literally looking at our sociocultural and horticultural um, coinciding of the black and Asian diasporas, of the African and Asian diasporas, just literally seed swapping, you know, plants from our continents. And uh, we all ended up here for the same reasons, you know, like forced migration and slavery and where half of us mean to be here half of us were forced to be here and you know that it's a lot like plant ecology actually yeah we kind of end up here we're like dandelion seeds you're going out of your way to step out of the box to give people a new structure mm -hmm. but by saying there is no structure Yes. Yeah, that's exactly it. I think um, the structure is where you are, like you are where you are. The people you're with are the people that are your community. That's right. the, we're defining it by being right. So let's let's keep let's keep paying attention to who's here. And that can be the structure. 
Yeah. And there's no right or wrong way to do this other than stopping, right? Yeah, right. I mean, the the more harmful thing in a lot of cases for communities of color is to give up. I mean, you know, that's the that's the harder thing. Um, I think our organization and my, my hope for people who come through here is that you feel empowered and that if you need it, we give you the permission to keep doing the things that you want to be doing. Yeah. So let's talk about the way that you're bridging communities. You've never really waited for permission. You've never asked for permission. You just kind of do it. We can't wait for permission. It's, you know, our justice is long overdue. I mean, everything we get now is actually um, retribution or sort of (laughs) recompensation, right? Like, so we're already 200 years late to the project of equity. I mean, we have to, we have to do it. I also know, though, what it feels like to wait for the permission, for the invitation. I know what that feels like. So I'm happy to give you that if that's what you need. Without having to ask. Yes. Without having to, like, exactly indicate, like, without trying to be mind read, you know, it's it's like, yes, I see you. Come in, you know? Yeah. So a lot of what you're doing is about validating other people's existence and also your own and giving people a safe space to really have these hard discussions. Wow, yeah. I think some of it is just the accessibility of the space, right? We need to make it accessible. But safety is actually where, um, you know, we have to actually put parameters and rules and kind of train ourselves to have some some decorum, some some table manners, right? So like, what does that look like in this new community, in this new blended community? And um, the answers to that change in every context. I mean, you know, the people that are in our community center right now are very different than the kids who are in the classroom doing arts and crafts, who are very different than, you know, the stage performers who are going to have a rehearsal in a couple hours. But um, just like, allowing everybody to be their complete selves in the space. Some of it is designing the space for their needs. Um, Actually, a lot of it is also telling them what other spaces are available. Maybe this isn't the right place, right? Yeah. So let's talk more about the arts initiative. So you're here to encourage expression through artistry, but also you have a community fridge downstairs. You have a little community center where sometimes homeless people come through, the neighborhood comes through, kids are here, you're teaching classes. There's so much going on for the public, but what's going on behind the scenes here? Behind the scenes, we spend a lot of time nurturing emerging artists and developing their concepts. I spend most of my time working with our artists who are still developing ideas. It's a lot of incubating. And um, actually, this summer, we're going to be working with Ashley Gripper, who started Land-Based Johns. And she has this amazing project of kind of training black and brown, especially women, but all all black and brown folks. And now um, the whole BIPOC spectrum on, you know, how to live off of the land. Right. And that's really a different tack than just farming or just recycling, you know, but it is about ecological environmental thinking but her approach is land-based like what is our relationship with land depending on the environment that you're on right like not fighting it you you have no choice you have to be where you are you you just are so we know the initiative's mission what is your personal mission here actually so personally i just want to see more asian americans making brave art period 
just more Asian Americans making brave art. That means if you're already making art, I want you to continue doing it. I want you to know that there's a place for it. You can do it with dignity and it can actually become a part of your lifestyle and your and your work, right? It can be compensated. I also think that there are a lot of Asian Americans who are making art who don't know about Philadelphia, but Philadelphia is the best place to make brave art. I mean, it's nothing but. So what does it look like to make art in this town? Um, it's a very musical city. It's very crafts oriented. There's a lot of fabricators. It's very place-based. I think every single person in this town feels very connected to their neighborhood, even down to the block. Right. Block the block. Yep, yep, yeah. Those are things that I think a lot of people can learn from. And for Asians, unfortunately, I hate to belabor stereotypes, but it is it has been the case, I've noticed, especially immigrants, immigrant communities, um, are not prioritizing arts, are not prioritizing arts as part of their sort of... Um, you know, as part of the work. But they're such an integral part of society and it's a really necessary part of social growth. And, you know, and I also don't want to belabor another stereotype, but I have seen that in other cultures, namely the African-American communities, the arts are vaunted and celebrated in a really, really vibrant part of, you know, the core, the core of the lived social experience. So, you know, when I hear Asians kind of being embarrassed by the fact that they're good at playing the piano because they think it's too cliche. I'm like, why are you embarrassed? That's awesome. You're an amazing pianist. You should be bragging about that. Like everybody needs to know about this. Um, so how do we change that culture, right? Yeah. How do you change it and then bridge it within the same bravery, which is really, yeah, that's what you're talking about yeah. here. Yeah. Bridging is really the bravery. Bridging is the bravery. You're right. And I think, um, I think you'll find people will find that once they're, they stop being embarrassed about their art, it actually gets better and then you're, you're not as embarrassed and then, you know what I mean? Like it, so it just keeps generating better and braver art. But yeah, and that's another bridge. That's a bridge to yourself, right? Hey. Yeah. I love that. And at the core of it all, you said integrity-wise, it's about being true to yourself. And that is how you create a braver art. I, you know what? It's because we've been ignored for so long. It's like if if I have nothing to lose because you weren't paying attention anyway, and by you I mean the man, right? If the man's not paying attention to me anyway, I have nothing to lose but being only honest. I mean... <laughs> and what's your message to those Philadelphia artists out there? Oh, it's really hard. I know that these are really scary times and that's why we're scared. I know that that... I know that our fears are not unfounded, but those small risks, they feel big, but they can actually look small if you just remember you are alive and you're here. I say these things to myself a lot. I'm alive and I'm here. And so start there. It, I mean, that's the first move. Are you alive? Are you here? Mm -hmm. Yes. That's enough sometimes. Yes to bravery. Yes to bravery. Thank you so much for being here, Anne. Thank you.
30 Seconds to Second Chances, brought to you by the Gift of Life Donor Program. Timmy Nelson had zero symptoms when he learned he was in kidney failure in 2013. Sometimes that's the case. It just happens. My mother's the same situation. He spent three years on dialysis. His focus was on his health. Also staying positive about it mentally. So when he got word he had an organ donor, he was ready. I woke up with a brand new kidney, which happened to be my 60th birthday. And now he's paying it forward. Register as an organ donor at DonorsOne.org and help save lives. At Devereaux Advanced Behavioral Health, we exist to change lives by unlocking and nurturing human potential for people living with emotional, behavioral, or cognitive differences. We were founded in 1912 by a special education teacher in South Philadelphia, and since then, we've been treating the most vulnerable members of the population in the same way we would treat our own families. To learn more about our evidence-based, trauma-focused care for children, adolescents, and adults, visit Devereaux.org. The Philly Rising Changemaker of the Week. Presented by Devro Advanced Behavioral Health. Welcome back to Bridging Philly. I'm Antoinette Lee here with this week's Philly Rising Changemaker. They're called the Testimony Project. They're a trio of three men, Hank Robinson, James Jackson, and Aaron Mathis. They typically visit places and events around the city where they ask people to share their story with them. Here's more on how they're helping bridge Philly. Just a few years ago, Hank Robinson was battling addiction and despair. He says it was through his faith and service to others where he found redemption. Testimony Project originated in May 26 of 2019. I was going through a trying time in my life and God planted the seed. I, I thought about actually writing a book. I'm sitting outside May 26 and I was doing my prayer meditation and and then this, the testimony project, and I still have the original copy of what I started writing down to, to go out and meet people, to film people, to share God's word with people, um, just to meet them where they are. So mm-hmm. that is my testimony. And uh, this is just escalated. I just really like helping people, you know, because we are so blessed that we should be able to give something back. Today, he's proud to share that story with hundreds of people. And it's opened up the door for others to share theirs. With the help of friends James Jackson and Aaron Mathis, he created the Testimony Project, which fosters connection and healing by giving people an opportunity to share their truth. Once we explain what we're doing, we have people pulling us aside. We literally have people waiting and wanting to talk to us because that's an outlet for them. It really opens up, it, you know, it opens people up to having, being able to share or being able to talk about what their problem is. A lot of people, they hold in, you know, their problem because they don't have, they don't know where to turn to. They, they just don't know how to even get it started. So through the Testimony Project, we were able to help a lot of people along the way. And um, we've even had people say, Had it not been for the Testimony Project, I would not have been where I am now. And along with sharing comes helping people meet their needs. Over the past three years, they've been able to help dozens of people facing issues such as food and housing insecurity, addiction and abuse through the generosity of their network. And then we just started we just started going out and meeting people. Uh, We started talking through our churches and we were blessed again, help feed people, help clothe people. Uh, We started filming people and it was just amazing. Everybody. The first year we had we filmed five men and five women and we didn't ask for it like that, but it just happened to be. And every individual that we were blessed to film had a different testimony that could touch on mental health, drug abuse, uh, sexual abuse, uh, gun violence. 
incarceration. We've been up to Kensington area in North Philadelphia with Rock Ministries. They've been very um, helpful to us, um, you know, riding on, side, on the side of them um, with certain events in the past. Um, our church family has gave us a, a huge support system and like home-based foundation, um, church and overcomer and trainer. So it, it like like Hank said, it's a lot. It's moving very fast, and we're gonna start going into schools. Not only promoting the testimony project, but trying to figure out how we can build bridges to these youth. It's not just one subject that we're devoted to. We're, like we said, we're devoted to helping people in general. We can figure out what that niche is, what that need is. We can point you in the right direction or get get you to the right resource. Um, ultimately, that's where our goal is. The trio says they are working to become an official 501c3 nonprofit so they can create more of those useful partnerships and hopefully involve into a community resource hub to expand their reach and mission. Once our foundation starts to grow, we can channel people to these individuals, you know, because it's nice to have a premiere, but a lot of individuals afterwards will say, now where do I go? Right. What do I do? Or how do I get the help? So we have been blessed to to meet with so many people and been asked to to speak it in so many areas. I just wanted to share that, that we actually now have uh, specialists and, and references to guide people too, because everybody has a testimony. That's Hank Robinson, James Jackson, and Aaron Mathis. Thank you so much for joining us on Bridging Philly, and thank you for your service to our communities. If you want to learn more about the Testimony Project, you can find them on Facebook at the Testimony Project-Delco. That's it for our Philly Rising Changemaker this week. I'm Antoinette Lee. If you know someone we should highlight next, please reach out to me. You can find me on Twitter at ARLeeOnAir. That's A-R-L-E-E on air. Thanks for joining us for Bridging Philly, brought to you by Gift of Life Donor Program. Organ donors save lives. Be sure to connect with us on Twitter at Bridging Philly. And please, of course, subscribe to the podcast. For Antoinette Lee, Shara Day Howard, and our producer, Arian Fulcher, I'm Raquel Williams. Be well.